Hi, I'm Harry. And I'm Simon. Together we sell all sorts of antiques and collectibles from our two auction houses in Windsor and in Devon. But where do the items come from? Join us as we chat about house clearances, our weird and wonderful finds. And interview others in the antiques and auction trade. And if we're honest, just about any other topic that happens to come to mind. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Gavel and the Gabble. I'm joined by... It's Simon, straight back off of holiday from St Ives, still in the West Country, not leaving the parish. <laughs> How was your holidays, mate? It was lovely, thank you very much. Uh, it was two days down in lovely St Ives and uh, just enjoyed every minute of it. But thank you for asking. It feels like you've been away forever. Really missed you. I couldn't leave you for longer than 48 hours, Harry, you know that. <laughs> Is it a holiday when it's only 48 hours? It's not fair, is it? Yeah, that's too long. <laughs> Couldn't wait to get back on the A30. Right. Well, while you've been away, both auction houses have been busy. We've got sales at the end of uh, the week of recording. Um, so we're on the rostrum together for three days in total. So um, there'll be plenty to talk about following <laughs> week, won't there? Looking forward to that. <laughs> <laughs> but this week, rather than us talk so much about ourselves and our own experiences, we are joined by Sharon O'Connor of Vintique Upholstery. And she's going to talk to us about how she got into the industry and all things upholstery, I believe, Simon. She is. And uh, she is something of an inspiration, I think. Um, and well, let's let her tell us all about it. But I have to say, I think her journey into this industry is amazing and i can't wait to speak to her we are today joined by sharon o'connor of vintage upholstery we mentioned her in a trail on a previous episode and i met this lady a long long time ago when she was starting out i believe in her career but i'm sure you'll get to the bottom of that and we're going to hear all about the wonderful world of regenerating saving furniture and making things into what you really like them to be with classic and highly skilled upholstery, amongst other things. Hello, Sharon. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you so much for bringing me on here. I'm very excited to chat all things furniture. Simon, she knows more about furniture than we do. You know that, right? I'm not sure that's entirely difficult. To yeah. be honest with you, <laughs> <laughs> However, I, I have had a look at some of Sharon's work, which is Really quite spectacular. Really, really impressive stuff, Sharon. Thank you. Thank you very much. I like to do things a little bit different, a little bit less ordinary, like you buy in the shops. So we're going to do it. We push it a little bit further. Fantastic. So would it be all right if we start by giving our listener a little bit of, you know, a little bit of background on uh, Vintique Upholstery? Tell us a little bit about how you started, where you've come from and what it is you do, because what you do is really quite unique and quite close to my heart in terms of repurposing beautiful pieces of furniture that would otherwise be lost. But tell us all about yourself. So I wasn't born as an upholsterer. I actually spent 20 years working in fashion and I lost my job in 2008. And I thought, what do I do now? The world was in a massive recession. I worked in fashion, which was related to retail. So there was a huge decline. So I thought what I'll do, I used to live in Islington. I thought I'll move out a little bit, regroup. And then by the time I've done all of that, recession will have cleared and I'll find another, another job back in fashion. 
And I loved that career, absolutely loved it. But I did not work on the creative side at all. I worked on the business side of it. So did not think I had a creative bone in my body, let alone a practical bone. So that move literally changed everything. So I moved into a mid-century flat in Teddington. And my furniture from my loft apartment in Islington wouldn't even fit in the door. So (laughs) particularly my sofa which is the one that got away. It was a seven, seven foot, I think, green leather 1970s, mint green 1970s sofa. And it actually, the little acorn was already there because I never liked buying furniture in a shop. I never liked new furniture. It always looked so ordinary and the same. And you could walk into someone's house and go, oh, that's a heel, that's a habitat, that's a that. And I didn't like furniture like that. So I loved, already always loved pre-loved furniture, but I thought that was just because... I couldn't find what I wanted in the shops. Simon, there's that word. There's that word we never were, pre-loved. Pre-loved. That's how you and I feel. <laughs> yeah, it's pre-loved. Yeah, quite. Sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean to interrupt. It's a whole new language. Pre-loved. Love that. Oh, I'm on a mission now on pre-loved furniture. So I went onto eBay for the very first time to buy a sofa that would fit in the door and up the stairs into my flat. And I thought, I'm in, a, I'm in a mid-century flat. So actually, I'm a 60s flat. So I'll look for a mid-century. At the time, a mid-century was exploding in 2008. So I thought, right, I'll get myself a mid-century sofa. So I found a Guy Rogers daybed on eBay for £50. And it was in Essex. Hired a van, drove over there, collected it. Thought, oh, this isn't so good because it actually needs new fabric. It's a bit smelly, the foam. But no wonder it was £50. But, oh, okay. that's what. Do, and I thought, well, what do I do? And I thought... Hang on, isn't this, isn't this what upholsterers do? So I thought, right, so I Googled upholsterer and I found someone local to me. I went off and found some fabric, very uneducated. I didn't know what I was buying or fabric at the time and gave him the sofa, gave him the fabric. And what came back to me two weeks later was something I absolutely loved. And I went, wow, right, I'm going to find myself some G-plan. I needed a dining table and chairs. So I found myself a G-plan dining table and chairs the seat pads were knackered, so they needed doing. So I found some designer guild fabric on a sample cell in um, locally to me, gave that to the upholsterer. They came back and said, oh, I love this. And honestly, <laughs> I got on the internet and I thought, I want to become an upholsterer. How hard can it be? All it is, is putting top fabric on stuff. It's really easy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think the upholstery community must have loved that. Yeah. How naive. <laughs> I know. No, do you know what, Sharon, what I'm loving about that is that's exactly what I would have said. How hard can it be? Could you just stretch, stretch a bit of fabric? Come yeah. on. Yeah, let's go for it. You don't have to think about what you sit on underneath it. It's just the top <laughs> fabric, the pretty bit. So I um, found, I, I literally typed into Google how to become an upholsterer. And it came back with the Association of Master Upholsterers, which is quite lucky that it came back because God knows what course I'd have done otherwise because <laughs> that was actually the right one to do. And I thought, oh, that's, ex- that's really expensive. Oh, okay, right. Um, and I had a deposit because I was about to buy a flat. So I had a deposit for that. And I thought, right, well, I'll use a bit of that and I'll retrain and I'll set up an upholstery business. And again, it, it was it, honestly, looking back, it was such, such naive steps so hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, Sharon. Let me get this straight. You had already decided to set up the business in upholstery, even though you had no idea how to be an upholsterer. Yes. I love it. And I thought to myself, this is an opportunity for me, for no one to ever say to me, you've lost your job because it will be my business. It's all down to me. 
I'll set my career, my next career, my second career is going to be set on firm foundations, not sand, that is re- that is related to the economy. And when the economy goes a bit balls up, I lose my job. So I thought, no, I'm going to start a business. And I always wanted a business, but I did. I never knew what in. I assumed it would be within fashion somewhere, but it wasn't. Thank the Lord. So <laughs> I... Then I thought, well, actually, that's quite an investment. Association of Wildstrap Upholsters, it's, it's a long course. It's in, there was two courses in the country at the time because the recession had closed a lot of the schools. So there was one in Kendall or there was one in Cornwall. And I got on my Google Maps and they were both six hours away from me. So I thought, right, the only one that let me pay per week was Kendall. So I thought, if I hate it after the first week, I've committed one week. I've learned a little bit of a new skill. And I'll just come back and I won't tell anyone about it. And it's just forgotten about. And I'll start looking for a job in retail again. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. But I was broken after one week because well, I've ne- I'd never stood up for so long. I'd used muscles that I didn't even know I had. But yeah, it was brilliant. So you were travelling to Kendall, what, all week? Or how did, no. how did that work? I would drive up on a Sunday evening and I'd yeah. stay until the Friday evening in a B&B with a little old lady who ran it, who charged me, she gave me a discount. She charged me £18 a night. She served me porridge with water every morning, vile, because it, it was bed and breakfast. And I slept in a single bed that was like a banana. It was so, it had such a bow in it, but <laughs> it's all I could afford at the time. And I was living my best life in Kendall, training to be an upholsterer. I'm loving that story. I love the fact that you can remember every minute detail. This yeah. is such an important transition such an important part of your life that you can literally remember the breakfast the porridge (laughs) the the shape of the bed that's how important it was you loved it didn't you I loved it but I was absolutely petrified because although (laughs) I had an idea of what I wanted to do and how I how I thought it was going to go there's a big step from saying I want an upholstery business to actually being able to do the craft as I learned on this course because I got thrown into antique furniture, traditional upholstery, horsehair, hessians, webbing, frame repairs, French polishing. You get thrown into everything. And oh, my word, there was never a dull day. And I loved mm. it. But I just thought, this is brilliant. How am I going to make it work? How am I going to make it work? How am I going to get customers? How am I going to do this? How? They kept saying, don't panic. Don't worry about that. Don't, don't worry. About it. <laughs> just, just, just do. Just go to the next course and the next week and the next week and just keep learning. And I spent three years training and not all with Three years. Three years. Yeah, three years. That's, that's, and so you passed with flying colours, right? I did. <laughs> but I did. I, I passed the first bit and then I went on and I went to London Met University because they've got a, um, a faculty there called the Cass Art Design. I went there and I did another course, but unfortunately that wasn't intensive. That was one day a week. So again, because of the recession, upholstery training was so hard to get hold of. It's exploded now. There's so many training centres, but there was none. There was no night classes. There was no weekend courses. There was no leisure courses. So I had to, I had, the reason it took me three years is I had to go with the length of the course they did. So if it was every Thursday, I had to just go every Thursday and I couldn't do anything in between because there were no courses. But I got there in the end. I got trained by some brilliant people and I, yeah, I've never looked back. After you graduated or you, you, you got your Hessian crown or whatever it was. So what happened then? Because I'm fascinated by this. So you, you're now a trained up holster. You've got the skills. You, you know what you're doing. But now you've got to throw all of that into the business world and you've got to start making money. Right. Right. So let's go back one step further. 
this is let's go back a bit because what actually happens is you never feel like you stop training to be an upholsterer you're learning all the time but also to make that jump from okay I'm not going to be a student anymore I'm not going to do any more upholstery classes or courses I've actually got a jump for the lucky thing for me which is bonkers is I ran out of I I ran out of money it's like right this I gave myself a deadline and I was like right by January 2013 I am going to start my business I'd already knew it was going to be called Vintique Upholstery I'd already thought of the name and I thought right I'm just going to start because some people on these courses are eternal students. They never make the jump because they're petrified of how to get a customer, how to convert it into actually making money. I was lucky because I didn't have the luxury of being able to keep doing courses. So <laughs> I started posting on Twitter and I started posting before and after pictures because there was no Instagram at the time. I thought Facebook were for, was for mugs, people who were smug, uh, posting family pictures and holidays. And stuff. so I thought, I'm not going on that. So I went onto Twitter <laughs> and I was hashtagging my local area and I started to get work. Sharon, tell me, who was your first paid job? Do you remember the first thing yes. you ever did? The first person who handed money to you for all this yes. hard work and training. This might be cheating a little bit. It wasn't family because they didn't <laughs> trust me and they wouldn't they weren't going to pay. So it wasn't family, which it should have been. But um I on the whole time I was training obviously I couldn't work because I had to be available for courses. So I couldn't get I couldn't get a full-time job. The only job I could get, which was the best thing that happened in the end, although felt like a massive step back, I became a barmaid for a local pub in Teddington on a Friday and Saturday evening. And it was good for me because it was social. It got me talking to people. It got me talking about what I was doing. And they were loving and following my journey while I was training. Probably the last two years of me training, I was working in this pub. I was earning nothing, but I was connecting with people. So my first customer came from that pub. Oh, fantastic. Wow. And it snowballed from there. So anybody who mentioned the word upholstery or chair restoration, they just threw my name in the ring. And I literally, and I just got, it just cascaded from there. And it was brilliant. I do remember the chair. It was a little, a little oak carver chair. So it was a drop-in seat pad that I did traditionally with horsehair, which looking back on it, I should have just done it with foam, but I was using my skills. And I, <laughs> and I, that was it. And I, I did it, in, we did it in this sort of harlequin hexagonal fabric and, there's another bit of the story. So I was with a partner at the time and I had a place that was going to do it and that that didn't work out. So the lady, the landlady, the pub set, converted her beer. She, uh, she had an old beer cellar in the garden that still sort all the old uh, kegs of ale and things that were ready to be picked up by the um, brewery. So she moved all those out and I moved in and that was my first workshop. No her way. studio. Amazing. Yeah. That is fantastic. <laughs> Yeah, no heating, no um, corrugated iron roofs with holes all along the side. Nice. January 2013, it snowed that year. And um, no light, no no um, natural light at all. And I used to come in every morning and have to get the rust off all my needles and my regulators and stuff because everything had rusted overnight. <laughs> I was my best life. I really was. And I'm forever grateful to that pub, that landlady, that first little workshop that I had. I'm forever grateful. Forever. What a fantastic story. I love the fact you built your business based on um, serving drinks. Yeah. The network. <laughs> I de- well, I didn't think I was, but naturally I was talking about what I was doing and they were so interested. This was a proper local pub 
where people were regular. So they were every Friday night and every Saturday night, I saw the same people. And they were like, what did you do this way? I'd get my phone out, I'd show them the chair. I'd show them, and they were just so invested. And actually, they were more invested than my friends and family who thought I was absolutely <laughs> bonkers. My friends and family honestly thought I was bonkers because they were like, upholstery? I mean, no one in our family's ever done that. And isn't that a man's job? And isn't that, you know, and it was literally that I, I, yeah, it's been a huge education of everyone around me, how amazing this craft is. And actually the amount of women that are training in it now is, it's more, it's all, it's all women. All women are training in it. It's brilliant. That is good. Mm. That is fantastic. That is absolutely fantastic. Funnily enough, Sharon, there's, there's, there's a crossover here. Harry and I have now been business partners for, I don't know how long. Where did Too we long. meet Harry? In the pub. In my wife's pub. In your wife's <laughs> pub. <laughs> See, all good things happen in pubs. All good before things 11. happen in pub. Exactly. You're, you're before <laughs> nice, nice, nice catch. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely. So, tell us about the business, um, Sharon. Now, tell us where you're at now, because obviously things moved on a pace from you know those heady days in the in the shed in the back of the pub where yeah. are you at now tell us tell us about that so i'm not far away i'm now in sunbury on thames and i've got a lovely little studio in the same street as where i work so nice and local um nice and convenient i think it's about a 4 minute walk to work which is fantastic um i'm celebrating my 10th anniversary january the 3rd next year congratulations and i'm all over socials now just campaigning for people not to throw their furniture away not to dump it in landfill and actually find yourself a really good upholsterer and reinvent it in a way that you'll never find that piece of furniture in a shop or you won't walk into a house and say oh i've got that sofa or i've got that just this real sort of adding personality to your furniture in your home using upholstery everything from beds to chairs to sofas to dining chairs everything you're really big on socials aren't you i mean you you use it all the time yeah i am and i'm I'm having you have to if you've got a business and you've got a service and you want people to know about it you have to embrace all types of social including which i hated initially videos and reels and youtube and all that you have to embrace it otherwise and this is another big setback for people who start out is they're too scared to be on social media and put themselves forward and then they end up becoming the best kept secret and they don't get the work so for me, I really enjoy it. I really enjoy promoting the craft and showing people that's what that looked like before and now look at it. And I'm, honestly, there's some horrors. I deal with some absolute horrors. So, and I love that the worse it is, the better the outcome, the more I'm going to push that on social and say, you see, people were going to throw that one away. Yeah, absolutely. And do, do you do you push on the, because we like in the auction business, we're desperate to try and get the message out of the green credentials mm. of what mm. we're doing. The fact yeah. that these these items, these chipboard pieces of furniture. Toot. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> these to, these tooty chipboard bits of melamine furniture that you're paying a fortune for mm. that's already been recycled once that will, you know, they will not move with you. They will flat pack themselves the moment you touch them. And yeah. you're replacing them every year, every year. This is not green. 
whereas your auction house uh, in conjunction with your uh, holsterers and your craftsmen mm. we are you know we are we are moving furniture from family to family like this bureau this georgian bureau i'm sat at, at the moment which i adore and, and love and it's mm. probably sat with four families already and it's as solid as a rock and it will do another 200 years without any problems at all that surely is is the greenest message i do push that message massively and i do push the message as well about this throwaway culture it's doing nobody any favors and actually think about what you buy invest wisely and i've got nothing against people buying a dfs sofa just don't throw it away after the payment plan's finished don't think it's just going to last four years reinvent it because i i love chesterfield sofas i love antique furniture it is my passion because the history the dinks the knocks on the wood all that it's just such character put a modern fabric on that and that will sit in any home beautifully for another hundred years but I still feel, I, I feel like it's this throwaway culture that I'm really trying to educate people on. But also, you know, I go and I see adverts in like TK Maxx and HomeSense, buy this amazing pink velvet chair for £150. I know how badly made that's going to be. Right. I know the reason it doesn't have a guarantee is because it's probably not going to last longer than two years. And actually, I know the person who bought, bought it is never going to think, actually... When my tastes change, I'll take I'll change with that chair. That chair can become something, it can be reinvented. But it's it's also as well creating the heirlooms of the future. Stop throwing. I mean, our parents, our family, they kept their furniture. They had their That's furniture right. for years. And as you probably see when you're doing house clearances, they probably got the furniture. I, one of you was talking last week about, was it one furniture that was designed by Heels? And it was literally yeah, yeah. like a set back in time. How amazing. What a privilege to see all that in that place. And they obviously, they obviously valued it and treasured yeah. it. And that now can live on, as some, that can go into somebody else's home and be valued. But yeah, heirlooms of the future, this throwaway culture, and we're doing no one any favours by literally sending everything to landfill because even a DFS sofa or something for the chipboard that can be reinvented and actually an upholstery will make it bigger I'm sorry bigger better problem is Simon she's not passionate about this um this <laughs> no no this no is... have you noticed that there's a there's a slight issue with that um, she's doing this a bit on a whim I think yeah yeah <laughs> Sharon I'm not sure she's fully invested no no no, no I'm, not I'm, at all that yeah. is fantastic it's just a hobby it's just a hobby <laughs> It's just a hobby. <laughs> Hang on. How many people, however, now now you've got a fantastic thriving business, um, mm-hmm. will actually will actually tell you, you know, you've got your studio just down the road. You live in, you, you know, you're doing well. You're so lucky. Oh my word. <laughs> because I don't have a proper job. I mean, because because I do something no. I like, it's not a job. It's not hard work. No. I mean, I know you. I know no. you can obviously tell I'm very passionate about what I do, but I live and breathe it. And because it's my own business, it doesn't turn off on a Friday at five o'clock. It very rarely turns off at five o'clock anyway. And I will be on socials in the Ever. evening. I'll get customers or new customers WhatsApping me at ten o'clock at night with random pictures of sofas, and I've got to figure out what they're going to ask me or tell me. And <laughs> you're always available. You're always on because every single encounter could actually be your next job. That is that is important. So yeah, it's it's full on, but I feel like I'm doing something worthwhile. So it makes it, and it's worthwhile for me, worthwhile for them, worthwhile for the environment. So actually, do you know what? It's it's not it's not hard work in that sense, but it's a lot of work. 
And I think, I think to be honest, genuinely, you are an inspiration to a lot of people who do, and we meet them all the time, Harry and I, who do, are not brave enough to step out of the commercial world, the nine to five job that they hate, um, where they're set bigger targets and worse targets and SLAs and KPIs. And, and they haven't, they need someone's help to help them make that jump into something they love because there is nothing better than not having the Sunday blues because you've got to go and do another five-day yeah. stint at work. There's nothing better than being happy to work at seven o'clock at night because it's what you love, not what you've got to do. And yeah. actually your passion comes across incredibly, uh, very powerful in terms of it can be done. You've got to be brave, but it can be done. So that's why I've created a mentoring side to my business. So I've got two parts to my two two mentoring parts of my business called Upholstery Uncovered, because I really she's want good to... at this, Simon. I was just <laughs> she's it's my, good. It's on my list here. I'm not going to say anything. I've got two questions. I'm taking notes. I've got two questions. One of them is Upholstery Uncovered. Tell us about that. That's it. Done. Right. <laughs> on, Sharon. What was the other question? <laughs> You got no, my other question is, um, and this is I because as you've listened to the postcard, uh, postcard, the podcast, you'll know that I um, I poke a bit of fun at Simon is that he's a burgeoning TV star. You see, oh, he gets, he gets approached a lot because he's a good looking boy. I have a face for radio, Simon, face <laughs> for telly. Um, and um, unbelievable, you, you, you had to, I wanted to know just out of interest, how did you end up and on money for nothing and all the rest of it? What was right. the what happened there? And then we'll go back. I promise we will go back because I'm fascinated by upholstery uncovered. But tell us about your telly career. <laughs> My telly career. I have no idea <laughs> how that happened. My gut feeling is I rebranded uh, five years ago, and I I think I obviously banged on about it on social media, and they it just came up on their radar, and they asked me to do a screen test. I passed the screen test and off I went. Is that because you're so shy and retiring and <laughs> not passionate about what you do at all? <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Listen, but there's a bit of a story to this as well for me personally. So my dad had just died and I was in a bit of a funk. And I was like, I remember I was talking to someone on the phone and I thought, oh, yeah, I just don't know, I can't get back into it. I don't know. And just feeling a bit flat and da da da. And then I saw this missed call come up and it said Glasgow. I thought, oh, it's going to be some sort of spam. Ignore it. They left a message. I said, I'm just going to get off the call and listen to it. And I, I, I remember saying, I, I remember sort of saying, give me a sign that I can get back into this and really feel like my mojo is coming back. And it must have been about, two months after my, after my dad died and um it was a money for nothing team production team saying we really like you we love you on socials would you do a screen and I was like that was the sign and um, How amazing. yeah and I and I thought oh my word you see now the difference is Harry um that Sharon passes her screen tests <laughs> no Simon I, Simon I clearly I, I, do not Sharon how can I tell you this in no way was Sharon primed for that as part of the discussion. <laughs> no. I'd never heard the story before, and it's just worked out in my favour because it appears that Simon didn't pass his screen. <laughs> <laughs>
I honestly, it was, it was, it was weird. And I just, I just asked me questions about, you know, how would you approach this and what to tell us about you? And it was about like three minutes long. And then they just said, you got the gig. And Sharon, I've been Sharon, doing it for four you're years. It worse. Stop <laughs> I know, that's why I'm worse. doing it. <laughs> Sharon, they drove me around in a car with a camera oh. sat on the passenger seat. Oh, and I still no. failed. Oh, no, I just did a Zoom. Stop, Sharon, stop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I feel so inferior. Oh. oh bless you Simon your time's coming your time's coming <laughs> oh, tell us tell us about Harry upholstery uncovered the so, mentoring service yeah, that I yeah. we genuinely by the way I'm gonna need a mentoring service <laughs> after this thank you very much Harry so two two parts two part two parts to my business that I always wanted to put on and actually one of them is linked to money for nothing so the um Money for Nothing linked, my, I, because it was the first time I was actually using my own ideas to put on a chair. Everything else, I do work on commission. It's, you know, I obviously help my customers with their sampling. I make sure they've got the right fabric and it's a whole design journey with my customers. But ultimately they choose the fabric because it's obviously for their home and their chair. So this was my chance to really just be creative and do whatever I wanted. And I loved it. So I started a shop, an online shop called Very Vintique. And I started selling my own furniture, stuff that people were going to dump. I get loads of people message me and say, this is going to the tip. Can we just swing by your workshop? If you want it, you can have it. I say yes to everything because I can't bear anything to go to landfill. And I just, then I put my own stamp on it and I sell it as a very vintage chair, creating the heirlooms of the future. It's the strap line, I'm guessing, Simon, don't you think? <laughs> I want to buy stuff and I didn't know. I can't help but feel that she's spending, Sharon is spending a lot of time just appealing to our one listener <laughs> to buy me. something <laughs> off the of you. you. <laughs> to buy something off to buy something off her website. No, okay, because you know what? It was it was it was answering a problem because some lots of people message me and say, I love what you do, but I don't have a chair. I don't have anything I really want to get done. So have you got something I can either get done or is oh, done? Okay. So I thought actually so I thought, actually, do you know what? There is and they all a lot of them want an heirloom and they just you know we just don't have it. So these chairs create heirlooms for their family, but I have the creative, you know, on it that I can say, right, this is the fabric I'm gonna put on it. You've got no say in it. If you like it, you can buy it at the end. So that's very vintage. But going back to and money for nothing triggered that for me because I just really enjoyed being create being my own creative person or my own chairs. Upholstery Uncovered came, became something I really wanted to do because when I started out, there was no information on what it takes to become an upholsterer. I just thought you, I Googled how to become an upholsterer. That's how I did it. I was so naive and so many people do it and they jump into the courses and they don't realize how expensive the courses end up becoming. They don't realize you need to buy your chairs, you need to buy your fabric, you need to buy your foams, everything that goes into the chair you're a store on a course, you have to pay for. That's not included in the course fee people don't know what toolkits they need to buy and some people buy loads of things they don't need and some people don't buy anything and then can't practice at home and all that sort of stuff so everything I wished I'd known when I started I created a video guide to say to people this is start a guide it's not a technical course I'm not going to show you how to do it although I do show them how to do a Lloyd Loom Ottoman but this is your this is everything you need to know before you invest because an upholstery training course all three, um, all three stages, excluding chairs, fabric and stuffings and fillings is about £13,000. So it's a lot of money. So people have to think about that investment up front. If you're going to do it for the, with the Association of Master Upholsterers, there are other places to do it, but you're looking at 
diplomas, but they're expensive. You can't just go to college and get a city of guilds anymore in upholstery. It's quite an elitist training, which is which is really which is which is sad, really, because it's it's all about if you've got the money, you can learn to do it. So um, that's a lot I of money. I know. Tell me about it. That's why that's why I'm still renting because all of my flat <laughs> deposit went on my training. But I um, I wanted I wanted people to go in prepared and not and a lot of people fall away after the second part of the course because they can't afford to finish it and that's just such a shame so that's the first part of upholstery uncovered and the other part is people really struggle to make the leap from student to business and they don't know how to do marketing they don't know how to do emails branding everything and they get frozen in fear masses of imposter syndrome when you start out and I think that's probably got worse because there's so many of us on Instagram now talking about what we do. There's so many. So imposter syndrome must be really tough if you just finished training. So I've got an, another part called Spring, Spring to Success. And that is a one to one with me where you spend an hour and a half, two hours, three hours, however long it takes, just getting you from that leap from student to business or you're in your business a year, whatever you need a bit of help to push forward. And I love doing those. I absolutely love it because I can just see the potential in them, but they can't, and they are terrified of going forward. But by the end of the call, they're, they're raging ahead. It's brilliant. It's obviously brilliant because you've noticed how Simon and I have both shut up while we listen to you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to shut up now. No, that is, no, no, we don't want you to ever, ever be quiet at all. <laughs> but that is the quietest Simon and I have been in years because we're really um, fascinated by the fact that you not only have you started your own career after uh, you know second career for one of a better description mm. and yeah. you've done it with a degree of adversity because it's a lot of money and you've made mm. sacrifices all of that Masses. we get we you know people do that to start their businesses but already 10 years in you are right what can i give back how can i help promote the industry generally um and i just i find that apps it's inspirational isn't it simon Thank you. Absolutely inspirational. I'll tell you uh, what occurs to me is that a lot of people in this business, they will not share anything that they know for fear of creating competition in their marketplace. Whereas I I think that's a false economy all around. The more people that are out promoting, you know, take your story, Sharon, the more people that are out there promoting how wonderful it is to recycle upcycle to have pre-loved items it's good it's good for the economy it's good for the environment Um, and it's a pleasure it's good for your soul and the fact that and the fact that you are not keeping that to yourself and the fact that you are so confident in what you do that you are happy to help other people experience the joy of running their own business with mm. all of these upsides that you talk about. I think it's, it's truly inspirational, you know, and well, really and generous. And I think oh, thank really you. generous. Well, I only I've, I've literally they're probably about a year to 18 months old, both of them. And I thought I thought someone's going to do this soon. I've been doing I've been in business 10 years. Someone's going to do this and nobody's done it. And I found when I started out in upholstery as well, and even now, some of the forums you go onto on Facebook, which have got professional upholsters on them, they're horrible. And the, the gatekeepers and this way they <laughs> slam people who ask a question they perceive to be they perceive to be a stupid question. And it's like they've been doing it 30 or 40 years. Somebody mm. might have been doing it three months. No, no question in my mind of upholstery is a stupid or silly question because I still have to figure things out on a chair or a sofa. That You learn every day. You never stop learning. But people are really scared to put their hands up and ask a question because they're worried they're going to look silly. And I thought someone's going to create this. This Someone's going to 
create this guide and help people get into the industry. No one's done it. But the gatekeepers within this craft is ridiculous. Yeah. And I'm desperate to change it. That's great. I mean, that is fantastic because I have to say in the auction business, um, I often uh, we often think, why aren't there more upholsterers coming to us saying, look at all this magnificent furniture I can buy for next to nothing. And if I can yeah. breathe new life into it and take original, unique pieces to market, there is a business out there for anybody that's interested in that. But they're not out there. You're absolutely right. And I think that's in part due to the fact that there aren't people like you sponsoring, and you use the right word there, the, the gatekeepers. We want to keep mm. it all to ourselves, make the courses very expensive, very yeah. elitist, then we yeah. can charge the top prices. Yeah. And there is a huge barrier of entry for anybody young, hungry, um, excited by it to get into it. Because, of course, the youngsters these days are big on green issues, upcycling and recycling. But you're they right, if it, costs that, if it costs that much money to get into it, there's your first barrier of entry. Your second barrier of entry is exactly what you said, Sharon, is even if I pass all the courses, who's going to help me go to market? Mm. Who's going to help me turn it into a business? Because I've learned upholstery and I've plowed everything into that. How do I go to market? How much do I charge? imposter syndrome as you quite rightly yeah. say so the fact that you you're there for that as well that's that's amazing I mean that's brilliant. and you've hit the nail on the head there actually pricing is the biggest thing they don't get taught anything when you do when you do your association master upholsterers course you're taught all of the technical side of upholstery you're not right. taught about marketing you're not taught about pricing you're not taught about anything that actually is of value to start a business so a lot of them come out and charge ridiculously cheap prices. They never put their prices yeah. up and then wonder why they, they're hating their lives. And they've done all of this training, but they're actually not really enjoying it. So I'm big on talking, talking within the industry with, with students about my prices because actually that's, it's, it's going to help them. But the difference as well, I think the thing talking about what you're saying about auction uh, in the auction housing thing I think you probably have this as well we I'm finding now that I'm really having to try and convince people that there is a difference between buying a sofa in a shop versus working with an upholster who's going to recreate a sofa or a piece of furniture for you that's they're not you're not they're not so when they talk about prices they think well I could the biggest thing I hear is but I could buy cheaper new and I'm like yes but you're not comparing apples with apples you're no. literally comparing apples with pears and that is my biggest focus point right now is to really sort of lift the lid on what's really in those sofas and those chairs and showing what an up, a good upholsterer will do to make them far, far better. Comfortable seats, lots of stuffing, no, you know, but not, not scrimping and not putting so much um, cardboard in the frames of sofas, using actually webbing, not using feathers as filling because it's unethical, using really good environmentally friendly foams environmentally friendly um fabrics the green credentials on fabrics is just exploding in the upholstery world so we're here at the right time that's fantastic i remember quick quick little story from from me i remember in lime bay auctions um bringing a sofa in off a lorry and mm. two of my guys the porters coming in um to see us in the office looking for plasters because they cut their hands to ribbons um, lifting what was a virtually brand new red two-seater sofa. So I yeah. said, how on earth, how on earth have you, when we turned the sofa over, the frame of the sofa had hundreds of, what do they call those air gun staples? 
Yeah. So they just fired all. So there wasn't a single joint. There wasn't a single mortise and tenon. There uh, wasn't a single. Yeah. It, and it was literally, uh, the, the, they paid a lot of money for this sofa from a big high street store. And the frame was literally odd shaped pieces of virtually pallet wood nailed yeah. together with an air gun. And those, those, um, uh, staples were all loose and they cut your hands to ribbons and that was the frame of the sofa so goodness knows what the rest of it was yeah and i see i see it with sofas where people have spent a lot of money on a heels or a habitat sofa for example and they're not made that much better than a tfs or ikea sofa the difference is you've probably got a longer lead time but <laughs> thing, the thing the thing the thing is as well is that the amount of new the amount of new sofas because velvet is obviously a real hot trend uh, not even a trend, it's here, it's here to stay. And the amount of companies that are using cotton velvet and it marks like you wouldn't believe, it fades in the light. Like you should not be selling 100% cotton velvet for anybody unless you say to them, your sofa is going to last you 12 months because literally wow. it fades and it stains so badly. You need a little bit of polyester in there or a little bit of something to actually make that fabric robust. I saw the other day, and so I got an email through a company sending me promoting a new sofa for £699, six colorways, all versions of grey, cream, and brown, and one blue, one cobalt blue, not a green or a pink or anything inside, really boring. Three year guarantee on the foam and the fabric, three years. That just tells you how badly made that is. But the, the, the perception is it's a cheap sofa. I'll probably have gone off it in three years. I'll just yeah. dump it. And yeah. that's what I'm really trying to convince people that, no, I can't re-upholster that sofa for £600, are you, including fabric. Are you mad? Because I'm going to have to improve it. But don't throw it away. Find a good upholster. Get good fabric that's got a longer life, shelf life than three yeah. years. Now, Sharon, what is the name? What's the, you've got to get a high rub count. Yes. You saw my post Come on, I listen to the social media. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's all, it is rub count on a sofa is so important. And that is the Martindale rub count is how, and that is literally how many times it's been compressed and tested that actually it doesn't mark. And you do need a high rub count on a sofa. By the way, I've got so many jokes here, but because I've got so much respect for Sharon, <laughs> I'm going to do none of them. Yeah, mate. None of them. <laughs> I had to get this into the into the interview somehow, but guess what? Your lowest, your entry level rub count should be. It's for I'll sofa, tell you now for a, for a sofa. It's in the thousands. Well, how many thousands? He hasn't done I his don't... research, Sharon. He hasn't done his research. <laughs> I'm shocked at you, Simon. <laughs> you are so a, such a tinker, Harry Ballin. <laughs> he is, isn't he? He is, isn't he? He really is. <laughs> I, I... Nothing below twenty five thousand rubs. <laughs> 25,000 for an occasional chair. Oh my God. To 50 what? for a sofa. I'm a big fan of an occasional rub. Stop it. <laughs> Most of my fabrics for sofas are 100,000 rub count. Years in them. Year, they'll last you years. Cats, dogs, babies. I have such a child. I cannot take this seriously at all. <laughs> this is the problem. My rub count's funny. <laughs> but this is the why Simon and I have a problem. Of all the things you could call it, surely they should have found, come up with something else. No, they do. They do. They call it the Martindale test, but it's caught in brackets, rub count. <laughs> now, if you'd have gone with Martindale test across the whole board, would have been fine. There would yep. have been no problem with this nobody segment. nobody knows what that means. You, Everyone knows what rub means. No, stop. <laughs> no, stop it. <laughs> 
<laughs> Producer Dave, these are the bits you might have to listen to quite carefully to decide which bits you're going to keep in and take out. <laughs> Tell me, Sharon, anyway, I, I yes. have a I have a question for you, and and I'm not saying this just because you're a wonderful guest and you're on here, but I've always thought of one day. If we retired, in fact, I think, Harry, you can back me up that I did say this in an earlier podcast, that if I had to retrain again, I would kind of be interested in upholstery. No way. I promise you I have. Yeah. And and, and I just think it... it there it is a family up- history here. The reason why Simon was so... I'll talk for him here, because obviously he can't talk for himself, I don't think. Um, <laughs> but, um, that's how it works. Um, is that his father made our gavels and was really into wood turning and that sort of stuff was and was re- and is yeah. incredibly good at it and so simon has a sort of a natural inbred affinity to furniture and construction of furniture well let me stuff. tell you that i nearly halfway through my course changed and did wood turning <laughs> because i loved it i did part of my i, I went on i went on a week's long course to learn about french polishing and, and um oh. joints and tenons and grooves and stuff like yeah. that so i could fix sofas and chairs and whatever else and because i was obviously thought i was never going to do a sofa because i'd be petrified to touch a sofa because they're so big but anyway i love sofas now and um mm-hmm. I uh, I thought, oh, I just love this. I've, I've done the wrong thing. I need to go into wood turning and French polishing. And anyway, I sort of realised how much it would cost to set up a workshop and said, no, stick with upholstery. So that's, yeah, I love the wood side of it. So, so what would you, so we, we should, we should get to together. Know, we should, absolutely. What a team. <laughs> um, Hold on a minute. I've done, I've done, I've done an interview on a podcast. I've lost a business partner. How would I? <laughs> There's a new team in town, Harry. There's a new team in oh town. Oh my life! What would be a good? I often think about this. We see so much stuff, as you can imagine, through both auction houses. So much furniture, yeah. and like you said, so much of it doesn't fall into the expert hands of someone like yourself. What is a good beginner's project for oh. an upholsterer? And I'm thinking, right, and I suppose this is a bit naive. I'm not going to obviously go and do the massive course. But if I wanted to, and please, I don't mean this disrespectfully in any way, YouTube something and just have a play, have a go. Is there anything that you could pick up at an auction house and you could look at? Oh, great. What is it? Um. Let's let's go back to training in a second because not everyone has to do an associated master upholsterers course. There are other ways of doing it. I'm sure will be cheaper. Um, so I um, I have done a blog and a video on it, and it's a Lloyd Loom Ottoman. They are Lloyd Loom Ottomans and piano stools and drop-in seat yes. pads for chairs are perfect yes. beginners. So I've done a blog on and how to do a step by step on a Lloyd Loom. I've done a piano stool for Money for Nothing, and I've done a step-by-step for that as well, which is on my website as a blog. And I'm about to film, because every the world is now video, I'm about to film a step-by-step on how to do a drop-in seat pad from scratch. Oh, fantastic. And by the way, to our one listener, um, that was not rehearsed, was it? Sharon, no, that no. Was not rehearsed, I promise you. I prom- no, oh, but it's brilliant. a great question, because a lot of people do say, well, I don't want to do the whole thing. I don't want to do a whole course, but I just love to have a go and they're the perfect three have a go projects so Sharon if it's all right with you what we'll do is we'll put links to those in the podcast episode link so that people can go straight to your uh, website thank you very much uh, they're my top hits they're my top blogs 
funnily enough. Yeah. Imagine if you can have a set of um, dining room chairs that you bought from your local auction house for next to no money, quite frankly, mm. with some rotten old <laughs> seats on. You can yeah. watch Sharon's fabulous um, blogs, videos. You re-upholster them yourself. And every time you have people come around, you can say, I did those. I did that. They're, exactly. They're unique. They yeah. are, and they are unique. You will not see those around any other dining room table in the land because I did that. And the beauty of those as well is you don't need much fabric, so it doesn't cost that much. And I show you how to do the wood on it as well to make the wood gleam as well, because you don't want a lovely seat pad and some knackered old dry wood. So I show you show them how to do that as well. But yeah, they're, they're easy projects where you don't need much sort of tools or expertise and you just follow the step by step and you'll end up with a lovely result. OK, brilliant. And go. let's go to the other extreme. What's the holy grail of upholstery? I have to say it's a Chesterfield sofa and the, the a, 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 um, a deep button Chesterfield sofa in leather. I wouldn't say it's the holy grail. It's probably what an upholstery would hate the most. But we do them. But they are hard work, hard on your hands, hard on everything because obviously it's leather. But leather, yeah. I um I don't I don't get much call for um hundred percent leather um sofas these days, which is because it's so expensive to buy leather. But um I love antique Chesterfields. I've got two. I've got two in my home. I absolutely adore them. There is something about that the fact that sofa has been hanging around for over two hundred years that I just I love them. So when any, anyone says two things, I get excited about now Chesterfield sofas. And Guy Rogers day beds because that's where it all started for me. So yeah, I get very. I know you're. I'm not not, not sure you're keen on mid-century furniture, Harry. I'm not sure. I think I've heard you say a few Kev, things about yeah, mid-century. Yeah, careful with that. Careful with that. <laughs> <laughs> but Harry, have you had an opinion? <gasps> it's so unusual for me. So mm. unusual for me. So yeah, they 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 for me that is the one that I think a lot of a lot of new upholsters probably shouldn't touch is a chest an antique chesterwood sofa, but I love them because they normally come in and they're absolutely knackered and wrecked and they need everything doing to them, but the end result is amazing, absolutely stunning, and they're so comfortable. When you finish it, do you have that? Do you have a sort of smug, satisfied smile and go, "I did that," and that's a real tough. That's a real tough project. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. And I have a, I always have a cup of tea in every project I do. I sit and have a cup of tea and I do the sort of sit test to make sure I'm really, really, really happy with it before I contact the customer and say, it's ready. But yeah, that is the one that I love sending them, the reminding them of the before picture and then send them the after picture and saying, there you go. That's why you work with an upholsterer. You won't find that in a shop. To say I'm opinionated... <laughs> I've got a question for you two then. So you see a lot of furniture and I don't yeah, mean quite a bit. I don't, I don't mean, <laughs> I don't mean wardrobes. That stuff. In terms of seating, what is your favorite piece of furniture style for whatever era? What, what is 19, your favorite? 1960s egg chair. Is it? You do yeah, like I, mid-century. I do. I know. I do like those. <laughs> I do like those. There is a slight issue. There is a slight issue though, know, Sharon. Uh, we have met a long time ago. Um, and I am still the same rotund auctioneer I was then. <laughs> um, and the problem with um, egg chairs is once I'm in, that's it. I can't get out unless somebody yeah, else is Yeah, they, the they are. It's I struggle to get in and out of them. They are, they are could, difficult. Who can pull me out. So I, I have that embarrassing sort of roll on the floor. But those are my those are my favourite chairs. Love. I agree. I agree mm. with them. Yeah, definitely. Simon? I think I'm going <laughs> to get shot down in flames by here, Sharon. I think this is where 
This is where the relationship ends. So when... <laughs> DFS when, sofa, please God, no. <laughs> no. I've always... I once... I held on to a two-seater Parker Knoll for years oh, with the green... Yes. With the wings, with the yes. wings at the side, with yes. the intention a Penhurst, of Penhurst. A, is that what it is? Yeah, yeah. the little two seater with the wings, so the wing yeah. back, the wing backs, and it was in a nasty green velvety Draylon. type Draylon, yeah. and I held on to it for years in the hope that one day, and I had this vision that I would reupholster it in like a white and red striped fabric just to make it look right just an on-trend <laughs> fabric okay see that's not gone right well. that's not gone okay so taking one of those straight away <laughs> rub, i haven't thought about anything else since you said it so um, but what i was going to say is i so i had a dream people that I would take one of those two-seater Parker Knolls and bring it into the modern day with some really cool on-trend fabric. That was, that's, and, and that has stuck with me for a long time. And I never did it. I ended up selling the sofa for next to nothing. Oh! Never got round to it, never did it. It was one of those projects that just never happened. But I loved the shape of that sofa. Sharon, we clear a house a day. There's no chance that we're not going to find him another one if he really wants to go ahead with this Oh, project. my God. I, I swear, honestly, I could, probably, <laughs> I could probably just say, change all my website, change my branding, and just say Park and Owl Shop. Because literally, Park and Owls, I, they, they are, talk about a revival. There you go. There's one that I did. Oh, wow. Oh, that's it. That's beautiful. Yep. Oh, Look, my I, days. So that's a Park and Old Penhurst. I did that actually for money for nothing. But yes, that is, uh, they are phenomenal sofas. Are they on trend as well? Yeah. I'm Honestly, probably every other week I'm doing a Park and Old Penhurst chair. I don't get so many sofas because most people are throwing them away or giving them away. But we won't, we'll, we'll gloss over that one, Simon. Um, but yeah, okay, the wing chairs, yeah. the wing chairs, because a lot of people are inheriting them. They all yes. remember them from yeah. their grandma, their granddads, their whatever. Their, their, yeah. their grandma used to knit in them. But honestly, they look amazing in print. They look amazing. And you've just shown me, yeah, you've just shown me one in, in a red fabric. Neon, neon. Neon. Orange, neon. No, it's, it's, it's called Carmine. So it's like a ready orange neon. Yeah. Do you know what? I genuinely thought I was going to get shot down in flames then. An but... Another understated colour from Vintique <laughs> Upholstery. <laughs> <laughs> and I changed the colour of the legs yeah. as well, which I don't yeah. always do. But yeah. yeah. yeah another, another, yeah. Dra another drab moment in the corner of a house <laughs> sponsored by Sharon. I don't know where this has come from. I don't know where the colour thing has come from, but it just... If you're gonna do it, you're gonna invest in upholstery. You might yes. let's not put let's not put beige on it. Let's not put cream on it. Let's do something. Let's not put grey on it. Everyone, literally, my workshop used to be 150 shades of grey. Every project that came in was, oh, we'll go for a grey. We'll go for a grey. Everyone's moved away from grey now, so I'm doing greens and pinks and beautiful colours now. So yeah, there are more colours in the rainbow than grey. Thank Lord, thank the Lord. But um. Yeah, if you're going to do it, you might as well go bold or go home. Awesome. You've, you've just shown me my sofa. <laughs> There's the quote of the day. <laughs> yeah, so that, they're great sofas, honestly. And I, and I think because a lot of those um, chairs hold memories to people, they're so, I do a lot of nostalgia chairs, a lot of chairs for people who they, they remember them from their grandmother, granddad, their mum, their dad. 
And um, yeah, they, they will go on and they, they all say, I'm doing this now and that's going to go to my children. And you just can imagine these park and old chairs are going to be hanging around 200 years. They will still be park and old. <laughs> and they're really well made, really well made. Amazing. Superb. Good, solid British design. Oh, where are we? here we go. Sharon, <laughs> um, I think we have, um, I think I can speak for both of us, can't I, Simon? But you're going to speak for yourself in a minute. We have had a fantastic hour of your time. Absolute blast. Thank you. One, you are a huge laugh. Two, inspirational in what you're doing in the upholstery industry and the way you're championing, championing it, um, etc. It's just unbelievable. And oh, one, thank we you. are hugely grateful that you spent some time with us. And Simon even came back off holiday to see you. Oh, another holiday. Another holiday. <laughs> so when the pair of you are starting, <laughs> when the pair of you were starting this new business that apparently I've got nothing to do with, um, I hope <laughs> it's all about me, Sharon. Um, <laughs> always. Always about me. Um, it's yeah, we're just so grateful and and yeah, inspirational. Thank you. Wow. Thanks for inviting me on and thank you for letting me. <laughs> <laughs> gabble on about upholstery because yeah there's a lot to talk about and it's a it's a very interesting topic in my opinion we agree to meet anybody with the passion that you have for what you do uh, that being your job with all of the fabulous knock-on effects of recycling upcycling taking pre-loved items and then encouraging others to get into this business um, and have as you said right at the beginning, a business, um, hopefully like Harry and I have, that is not built on sand, is not yeah. part of some corporate American entity that is yours, yours alone, and that you can be proud of. The fact that you're helping others get into that, um, very much an inspiration. Thank you, Sharon. Really, Thank really you. love it. Thank you very, very much. Take care. We'll be in touch with you, Sharon. See you in 10 years, Harry. <laughs> Cheers. Nice to see Bye. you again. Take care. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Well, how good was that, Simon? Oh, I tell you what, inspired, inspired, and I feel somewhat pre-loved myself. Over the course of that interview, I managed to uh, lose a business partner who's now setting up an upholstery <laughs> business. <laughs> you know Again. what, Harry? In, in all seriousness, I think Sharon's story for anybody who wants to recreate their life, wants to work for themselves, wants to know that there are huge risks, huge challenges, but it can be amazing. And that's been my experience. Um, and to listen to Sharon talk about the risks that she's taken and everything that she's subsequently achieved through hard work and, quite frankly, bravery, absolutely inspirational. Loved it. Yeah, great episode. Fantastic. Listen, mate, I'm going to let you go. And we're seeing you on the rostrum Friday, Saturday and Monday. Oh, my life. Looking forward to it. Uh, yeah, that's what I meant to say. I'm looking forward to it, too. See you later, mate. Haven't you got to do something about social media and leaving? Oh, no. Oh, my God. What is wrong with you? David has literally been bending your ear and you did none of it. None of it. Okay, shush. Come on, we'll do it now. We'll do it now. Turn up, turn up, turn up. <laughs> oh, my life. Right. We're in real trouble, Simon. We're in real trouble because what have we forgotten to do? What have we forgotten to do? And I'm going to set up and hold my hands up. Exactly what David told us time and time again. You've only got yourself to blame. Please, can you leave a review of the podcast? Ideally, five stars. Like, subscribe, whatever it is you need to do. Spread the word. Tell everybody about the interviews. 
yeah, promote us as much as you can. We'd really appreciate it. We'd really appreciate it if only to stop David telling us off. Exactly right, mate. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> Ta-da.